Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Awesome. Good morning, boys and girls. It's so good to see you. We are in our second week of Advent. Um, I have a question for you guys. Have you guys ever gone through maybe some big changes or maybe expecting a big change coming up in your life? Some big changes, people that we love in our life, yeah. Maybe some of you guys have moved to a new city. Have any of you guys moved before or gone to a new church? Or maybe a sibling, maybe had a baby brother or sister born in your life. Anybody have a younger brother or sister? A couple of you guys? Yeah, you do? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Or maybe you went into a new school that was different than one you've been in before. Yeah. A lot of changes. And sometimes we know about some of these changes coming up, and sometimes we don't. And um, some of these big changes can feel both sometimes exciting, sometimes sad, sometimes kind of at the same time they can be both. They can be exciting and maybe a little anxious, right, in our feeling. So we're going to talk about Mary this morning, and she was a young teenager, and she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And all of a sudden, an angel Gabriel came and appeared to her and told her that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. Do you think that was a big change in her life? Yeah. How do you think she reacted to that incredible news? Was she maybe excited, maybe worried what Joseph would think? Maybe nervous because she was going to be a new mom. Yeah. What do you think? How do you think she felt? She felt kind of frigid. Yeah, maybe kind of excited and kind of afraid and kind of, how did that happen? Yeah, a lot of that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and Jesus' arrival would drastically change her life forever. Forever, forever. And so let's look in the Bible today. God tells us at the very end of her conversation, with this angel, Mary says in her response, she felt at peace and she responded beautifully. It says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And so Mary shows us through her response to angel Gabriel and this big news in her life that she was trusting God and she had peace with God. And in trust, Mary gave everything that she wanted to be. She gave everything to the Lord. The plans that she maybe had for her life, these big plans that she had made, she gave them to God and had peace and said, whatever you said, I want it to be done. And Mary also heard the angel say that nothing is impossible with God. And you can believe and trust in God for your big plans too. That whatever you face, God is with you because of Jesus. Because of the true peace that God gives us with God, we can feel that peace and have that peace in everything that we do. And we can go directly to God and ask him for that peace in our life um, because of what he has done through Jesus. So we are going to light our second candle this morning. We're going to do the first, the candle of hope from last week, and then this candle of peace today. And so let's bow our heads first and let's pray. Father God, Jesus, Prince of Peace, Thank you for coming in and taking away the sins of the world. Thank you for putting them on your shoulders so that we may be at peace with you. Thank you that you are with us even when we are going through some big changes. 
Help us to walk in peace, especially during the weeks of Advent, as we wait and prepare for Jesus' coming. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning again. If you weren't here earlier, let me uh, reintroduce myself. I'm Bruce Druksma. I am the senior pastor. And uh, if you are new, I meant to also mention earlier that uh, there is a bookmark uh, in the seat pocket in front of you that I would love to have you uh, scan the QR code or text the keyword. If you're joining us online as well, welcome. Um, that is another way we would love to connect and get to know you. Uh, we are doing a series this morning, continuing a series called Now, Not Yet. It's our Advent series. And before we go any further, I have a confession to make. And my confession is this, that counting, counting to four is apparently hard for me. Um, so there are four Sundays in Advent, and I counted too far, and we're on week two, and the rest of the world is on week one. <laughs> so uh, just to be clear, if you're doing an Advent devotional, and it doesn't line up with what we're doing, my fault, uh, I miscounted. I counted the Christmas Eve as uh, not one of our Sundays of Advent. It should have been, and I didn't, I didn't count it. So I counted back four, and here we are. So we're on week two, while the rest of the world is on week one. You can choose to see that as a mistake, or we're just overachievers. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that option. But uh, yeah, uh, feel free to come up and, and point that out to me at another time. But whether it's week one or week two of Advent, uh, we feel like Christmas is coming pretty quickly. I don't know if you feel that way at all. I know outside it doesn't quite yet look like Christmas. Uh, some of us would maybe like a white Christmas. We'd like a white Christmas to come the day after Thanksgiving to know that it's, but whether we feel like it or not, it is coming, it is coming quickly and it is a time for a lot of us of chaos, of rush, of hurry, of more. School concerts, Christmas parties, work parties, um, church services, all these things, you know, and then you throw in the normal hustle and bustle of life. It's not a time of life in the Advent season that we generally go as a time of calm and peace. It's a time of chaos and upheaval and rush. But we should have a season of peace, even though it often looks anything but peaceful. And here are some Christmas stats for you this morning. These kind of things come out every year, but 71% of U.S. holiday budgets go to gift purchases. 48% of Americans begin Christmas shopping before the end of October. Some of you wait till the day before Christmas, but 48% start in October. American consumers spend an average of almost $1,000 on Christmas gifts each year. And 40% of Christmas sales occur between December 15th and 24th, which I think is really interesting given that so many people start before October, before the end of October, and yet then they wait to buy it until the week before. But that's, that's what Christmas has become all about. It's about the parties. It's about the hustle. It's about the bustle. It's about getting out there. It's um, all of those things. And all of this adds up to a less than peaceful holiday season, where our focus is on, I got to quick get that last minute thing in. And all the more reason for us as a church to celebrate peace, and to celebrate the peace that Jesus Christ brought to all of humanity in his birth. And so this morning we will continue our series, 
looking at the virgin birth of Christ. But before we do, I'm gonna show in just a second here, we're gonna watch a little video that maybe you've seen before and it's, it's fairly entertaining and I hope you enjoy it. And, and if you've seen it before, I think it's worth watching again. But here in this video, pay attention, especially at the end when he talks about really what this should tell us. One December night, over 2,000 years ago, a shining star illuminated a gathering of kings, shepherds, angels, and animals round a baby in a stable. T'was the nativity, and it marked the end of a journey that began on a donkey's back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hold up there, Jeeves. Yeah, I beg your pardon? Your nativity, that's not exactly how it happened. Here, look, let's start with that donkey. Neither of the gospel stories mentions Mary traveling by donkey. And given the 60 miles of rough terrain they traveled, it's more likely they used a wagon. <laughs> Minor details. But then the innkeeper informs uh, them there's no room... Again, the Bible doesn't actually mention an innkeeper. And in the Greek, the word inn refers to an upper room in a house, not an actual motel. Oh, blast. Look, wherever it was, there was no room. So, Mary and Joseph were sent to the stable. Uh, no stable. <sighs> Not in the Bible either. Now you're catching on. And in those days, most animals were typically kept in a cave. A cave? Yuppers. So, it could have been that instead of a stable, the Bible doesn't really say. And the Star of Bethlehem? Duh, that's biblical. Well, we're actually right for once. It's a Christmas miracle. Okay, so now came the shepherds and the three kings. No kings. Three kings is from the song. The Bible says magi, which means wise men. Three wise men? That works. Well, not so fast. While the Bible does mention three gifts, it doesn't specify the number of wise men that brought them. You mean there could have been more? Oh yeah, a whole posse even. With a crowd like that, it's a miracle the baby Jesus never cried. What, no crying he makes? That's just a lyric from Away in a Manger, not actual scripture. <laughs> well, of course he was crying. You just added a whole crowd of strange men. Eh, yes and no. There may have been many wise men, but they weren't there that night. You see? Okay, that's enough. Except for the blooming star of Bethlehem, you've just dismantled the most inspiring image of Christian tradition. So what's your point? Point? Well, I guess it's this. Even when all of the man-made traditions are stripped away, the eternal truths still remain. Whether they traveled by donkey or wagon, God brought them safely to the birthplace that was prophesied. Whether born in a stable or a cave, God provided shelter in a strange new land. Whether there were three kings, three wise men, or many, God called the elect to bear witness and testimony to the birth of Emmanuel. So whether your manger looks like this, or like this, the one thing that remains unchanged is this. A baby boy, born of a virgin, this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Bless you, sir. I'll never look at the miracle of December 25th the same way again. December 25th? Oh, I almost forgot. Stop that! Music! <laughs>
So as we talk about Christmas, it's tempting sometimes to focus on the traditions and the patterns and the things we do instead of focusing on the real reason, the real reason that we are celebrating. And what truly brings peace in our holiday season, the true peace of Christmas is not the tree and the family gatherings and the pictures that we conjure up in our mind and the patterns we do. The true peace of Christmas is found in the manger. It's found with the baby. And this week we are looking at an important part of that Christmas story and we might look at it in a different way. And like that video, I hope you don't hear me trying to dismantle our Christmas story. Instead, it's to strip away all of the traditions and focus on what was truly happening, what God's purpose was. And so we are gonna look at the story of the virgin birth, the story that starts with the revelation from an angel to Mary that she will be with child, and that she'll be with child not by human means or the will of a man, but by the Holy Spirit coming upon her. And as you can expect, this would have been shocking news for a young woman, as Bethany in our kids' message shared so well. This is surprising news. This is not something that uh, would necessarily be understood in that day. In fact, one of the first things I want us to think about is as we look at that story, I would argue, and I think a lot of uh, scholars and biblical historians would agree that it might not even have been understood by people at that time that the Messiah needed to be born of a virgin. That in and of itself, while we look at it and we can see the scriptural evidence for it, isn't necessarily something that they assumed would happen. And so for Mary to hear something like that would cause her to pause and go, wait, why is this happening? This isn't something that we necessarily assumed would be true. And so the question I want us to look at this morning is this, how did we get to this spot? How did we get to the spot where we celebrate this virgin birth? Why is it important? What did it mean to them? And what does it mean for us today uh, leaving this room? Why is this such an important part of our Christmas story If it's not just a tradition, if it's not just a thing we celebrate, why is it there? It's not just to make it a nice manger scene. So the first one is, how did we get here? As we stand today in this place of understanding that Joseph was not the father of Jesus, biologically speaking. When the angel shows up at Mary, she says, the Most High will overshadow you and you will be pregnant, even though you're a a virgin. And how did we get there? How, how did she get there? How did our tradition of the Messiah get there? And the Gospel of Matthew is where this idea originates. It's highlighted, I should say. It's not where it originates. We'll get there, but it's where it's highlighted. And Matthew highlights this, divine, I, this idea of a divine beginning more than any other author. He is pushing at something here, and he is going to bring up in multiple ways throughout our story, and we're not going to look at them all this morning, but he's going to bring up multiple ways in which Jesus was different. His birth was different, and it made him different. It made him divine. It made him God. And Matthew highlights this idea way more than any other author. And I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew. We're going to skip ahead. I'm going to read a few more. We're going to skip ahead. So bear with me, but we're going to start in Matthew 1. We're going to read the first two verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Matthew's going to go on. And this is the spot, again, that I've, I've made this comment multiple times that we tend to skip over. 
And I'm going to do that this morning. We're going to skip over some of it because it gets kind of repetitive. And then this guy had this kid and then this guy had this kid and that guy had that kid. And it goes on. And there's, but there's a pattern here and he's building this genealogies because one of the things they believed is that the Messiah had to come from the line of David, which means he had to come from Abraham. He had to be a child of Abraham. And so Matthew lays it all out his royal lineage. And there's this pattern, A to B, B to C, C to D, and it goes on. We're going to pick it up in Matthew 1, verse 15. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. And so here he breaks the pattern because all of a sudden he brings in Mary. And while a couple other women had been brought in, the genealogy throughout had been tracking through the dads. And all of a sudden it's the husband of Mary. And kind of what Matthew is starting to tease out here for his readers and for us is this idea that Jesus, while being of the genealogy of David, of, of Abraham, he's not really Joseph's biological son which is more important to us today maybe than it was to them back then. But, but there's, notice the break. There's a shift. Matthew is pointing out the dual humanity and deity of Jesus. He's pointing to both. He wants it to be really clear. Jesus is the Messiah. He has all the earthly credentials, but he's not human like us in every way. He is born of a virgin. He is he is the Son of the Most High. Matthew is hinting here at this and will later spell it out for us. So again, I'm gonna skip ahead just a couple more verses this time to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, there's a lot in here this morning that we could look at. It's an incredible story. It's one of the few times that Joseph gets highlighted. We know very little about Joseph. In fact, I think last year we took some time and looked at him as a character and talked about how we can see that he is godly, he is upright, he wants to do what's right, he wants to follow the Lord, and yet he wants to do something that would both honor the Lord and yet protect Mary. And a lot in there that we could look at. But I want us to focus on this verse where it says, this will fulfill what the prophet said that the virgin will have a child. Because that is the reassurance part in here for both Mary and Joseph as well as for Matthew and the people reading the book, there's, there's an understanding here that God is doing something and we should sit up and take note. This isn't just a coincidence. This isn't a fluke. This isn't something stuck in there to make our nativity scene look pretty. This isn't something in there so that we can have fun songs, to, uh, fun Christmas songs to sing. This is foundational to Matthew's gospel. He starts with this for a reason. This is important. 
And so we see the importance of this idea. We see the historicity of it. And for Joseph, this is a call to trust God. This is a call that God is doing something. But this moment is also very confusing to Joseph. And the passage being pointed to doesn't always make sense to people and might not have even made sense to Joseph in that moment. And this is a, a, a spot where Joseph is sitting there and Mary, and, and they're struggling with what do we do with this piece of information? And this seems um, like an interesting verse to choose. So his intention, God's intention for the birth of the Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ, is being confirmed here. And even though it doesn't always make sense, we need to trust the Lord and Joseph and Mary do. This is not a fable or a legend. Matthew is very clearly pointing to a supernatural birth of Jesus. And so for us this morning, I think there are two takeaways already that I want us to think about. First of all, what does this mean for us? Like our video, is this part of your Christmas story just because you like it? Is this part of our Christmas story just because it makes us uh, feel better about our, our, our Christmas story, the, the, the birth of, of a baby to the Virgin Mary? Or is there more to it for us? Is this, is this more than a line from a song? Has it in some way become just a comfortable part of our tradition, or do we see it as the earth-shattering, altering news that it was? Our call is to find peace not in the traditions of Christmas, but in the story the traditions are pointing to. And second, how does this affect our view of Jesus? And we talked about this when we, when we looked at the book of Colossians, the, the dual status of Jesus as both fully God and fully man. We need both parts. This is part of that. This is foundational to our gospel message. If Jesus is not fully God, he cannot pay the penalty for our sin. So this is key. Do we see it as that? Or again, is it just part of the story? And how does it change our view of that baby in the manger? We're going to end this morning with communion. And I think it is healthy and appropriate for us to start with this image of a baby born different for a very different purpose, a baby born to die for our sins. Why did Jesus have to be born? Not to give us a holiday to celebrate. Jesus had to be born as God to die on the cross for our sins. And even one of our songs this morning pointed to that. That was why. This is a big deal. So if we see where it comes from, and why it is necessary, what did it mean to them? How, how did Mary and Joseph and the people of that day, how did they respond to this news of a of, of virgin birth, of a Messiah being born through a virgin? And is that what they were looking for? Is that how they understood it? Well, to answer that and really dig into it, we need to back up and look at the verse that Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 7. And if you haven't heard me say it before, we need to remember that our Bible is different than their Bible. Our Bible contains all these books, Matthew through Revelation, that they didn't have. So when they look at Scripture, they were always looking to the Old Testament. They had none of the other things. Jesus hadn't been born yet. That, those books hadn't been written. So they're looking to their Old Testament for reassurance that this is normal, that this was meant to be. And so Matthew, when he's communicating the gospel, he is referencing their scripture, which is the Old Testament, and he references Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. 
And so what does this mean to them again? Well, again, we'll need to back up because back in those days, they didn't also have verse numbers. They couldn't say Isaiah 7, 14. They said in the book of Isaiah, and then they would quote a line from it. And they would quote that line intentionally to get to the gist of what the passage is getting at, or more specifically, how it ties to them and what they're saying. Because if we read just that verse, we go, oh, great. The virgin will conceive, Emmanuel, boom, done. But if we go back like they would have and read in a little more context, we'll see there's a little bit more to it. In the same way that if I were to stand up here and say four score and seven years ago, you understand there's a deeper context to that phrase than just those words. There's more to it, and that's how they would have understood it. They would have understood the larger story being told when the virgin will conceive. And so we're going to do the same thing. We're going to back up a little bit. We're going to read all of Isaiah. And at, at, at the start, it might sound like, wait, this isn't the Christmas story I was expecting. This, this doesn't seem to tie in. In fact, it makes it more confusing. But I would argue that if we push in and really see what God is saying through Isaiah to Isaiah and his people— and how that applies to Matthew and his people, it doesn't weaken our Christmas story. It gives us a better understanding of what God is about and what God has been about for ages. And it gives us a fuller understanding. So we're gonna read in Isaiah, and just like I did in Matthew, I'm gonna skip over some verses, mostly because I don't wanna be here for two hours, and I don't think you do either. So we're gonna skip over some verses, but we're gonna start in Isaiah. We're gonna start with chapter seven, verse one and two. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So this is a dark time. We're gonna pause there. This is a dark time in Israel's history. Israel is divided into two groups, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Both of them have bad kings. Both of them have kings that are ignoring God. Both of them have kings that are not following the Lord. The northern kingdom, that was every king. The southern kingdom, it was a little more hit and miss, and right now they have a bad king. And Aram is, this, is, is a country coming against them, and it's besieging them. So not only do you have two bad kings, and you have them fighting against each other, but you also have these outside kingdoms. It's a dark time, especially if you're Ahaz, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. You have not been following the Lord. You've been disobedient. And in fact, one of the worst kings that they've ever had. And now not only are you fighting against your brothers and sisters in Judah, but you're also getting besieged by an outside force. And Isaiah shows up with a word of encouragement to him. And we're going to jump ahead to verse 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So Isaiah is looking at him and he's reminding Ahaz, he says, hey, don't worry about these people. They are only human, just like you. And their kingdoms are led by human people, just like you're leading your kingdom as a human. So you have a chance here, Ahaz, you can step up. 
And you can realize that God is the king of Israel, not you. And you can rely on God because he is going to protect you. Because even though you are feeling threatened over here and you are being threatened over here, remember, they are only human and I am God. That's essentially what he's saying here. Hey, do you trust me? Are you going to trust me? So this is a call for Ahaz to stand firm. And it continues in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And I'm gonna pause there because that sounds like a great response, doesn't it? Oh, I'm not gonna test the Lord. But Ahaz is responding in arrogance. Oh, no, 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 I don't need God. I need me. So I'm not gonna ask the Lord for a test. I'm gonna do this myself. And I think there's a little bit of him that might even be sitting there going, besides, if God responds in a sign that I can't deny, then it kind of forces me to acknowledge God, and I don't, I don't want to do that. So what sounds like a good answer is really him kind of pushing God off. No, 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 don't worry about me, God. I do not want to put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, uh, continuing in verse 13, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria." wait a minute. How does this tie into Christmas? This doesn't seem to tie in at all. Now this virgin that's being prophesied has everything to do with Ahaz and Assyria, because by the time Assyria comes, that's, that's, not, that's before Jesus. Assyria came well before Jesus, hundreds of years. How is this about our Messiah? And there's lots of context here. And to quote Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, there's too much to explain, so let me sum it up. What we see here is God promising to preserve Israel. No matter what humans did, God was stepping in and saying, look, I'm gonna punish you for your sin, Ahaz. You have rebelled, you will be punished. But I'm gonna preserve my remnant. I am gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it my way whether you come along or not. And so the promise here of the virgin having a child does not seem to have any view towards a future Messiah. And to conclude the story from Isaiah, Ahaz is being told God will preserve Israel and your unwillingness even to respond to God when directly confronted means that eventually God will bring judgment on you. But God will preserve Israel. And God will preserve Israel in such a way that a woman alive at the time of Ahaz will go from being a virgin to having a child who has just weaned in the space of time it's gonna take God to protect Israel. That's what Isaiah is saying. In that amount of time, I'm gonna protect Israel. And it's gonna be so clear, God says, that I am the one protecting Israel that that woman is gonna name her son Emmanuel. God with us. That's what God is saying to Ahaz through Isaiah here. God will preserve them so clearly that she will name her child, God was with us. 
So that takes us back to Matthew 1. If this verse in Isaiah is about Ahaz, what does it have to do with Matthew? And what does it have to do with our Messiah? And why would the angel share this verse with, Matt, with, with uh, Joseph? Why this verse? And this is a great example of where we get our title for our series of Now, Not Yet. Because this was a warning for Ahaz in the now. For Ahaz is now, the warning was for him. But later, God is going to show up and say, you know what, there was more to that than the people understood at that time. And I'm going to re reveal myself in a way that is undeniable, and you're going to look back and go, oh, there was more to it. And so most of the people at that time were not necessarily looking for a virgin birth, but that doesn't mean that wasn't God's plan from the beginning. He intended that, God intended that from the very beginning, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And it's in Joseph and through Matthew that we see the connection. Oh, that's what God was doing this whole time. So at the time of Isaiah, the assurance was a reminder, do not fear stand firm in your faith. And that is the same reminder, ultimately, that God is giving Joseph. As you see something in front of you that does not make sense, do not fear. Stand firm in your faith. And remember, I've done this before. I've done this before. I have protected. I have upheld. And I will do it again. And we can see that clearly in his response to this revelation. Joseph, when he hears this verse from Isaiah, he has that dawning awakening. Oh, there's more to that verse than I understood before. In Matthew 1, verses 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And this verse would have further been understood by the audience of the Gospel of Matthew and should be understood by us today as a beautiful picture of how God works. That God is going to make happen what God intends. God is going to move. Our choice is how we respond. And we have two choices here. We can respond like Ahaz and go, God, you might move, but I want no part of it. God, I'm going to continue to do it my way. God, I'm going to continue to deny that you're at work. God, I'm going to continue to push on. Because what you're doing, I want no part of because it's not about me. That's one option. Or we can respond like Joseph and we can go, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. In fact, this verse, when I, when I read it my entire life as a child, I didn't understand that this meant you were going to do it again. I didn't understand that the virgin was going to have a child and he was going to be Emmanuel was referring as well to the Messiah. I didn't get that then, but God, I'm going to trust now because you are going to do what you are going to do. And my choice is to get on board or get out of the way. And Joseph responds by getting on board. God is going to do what God intends. And when we are with God, we are in the best place we can be, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And I can just imagine Joseph waking up from this dream and going to people and saying, I had this dream, and I'm going to take Mary to be my wife. And even though uh, this doesn't make any sense, he pointed to Isaiah. The angel told me about Isaiah and reminded me that it says there that the Messiah would come from a virgin. People would be like, Joseph, no, it doesn't. That's not how I read that at all. 
That doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, that's a really obscure verse that's really convenient right now. I'm sure there were people who would have responded that way. But he's going, no, no, you don't understand. What God did, he's doing again. He is protecting his promise. He is protecting his people. But now, instead of protecting them from an earthly threat, he is protecting us from a spiritual threat. He's bringing about a Messiah. And when we are with God, we are in the best place we can be. So where do you need that peace of God today? Where is the spot where you need that peace, especially at this Christmas season? Where is that spot? And I would encourage you to look around and go, God, I don't necessarily understand what's going on, but I know that if I am where I need to be, I'm in the best spot I can be. If I'm with you, I'm in the best spot I can be. And so, Lord, I don't care if it makes sense to to my friends, to my neighbors, to my family members. If you have called me into something, I want to step in like Joseph. Because if I am with you, I am in the best place I can be. So where do we need that? Where do you need to put your trust, your security in Christ, the baby born in a manger as God, to truly find peace? And so this morning, I want to end by asking this final question What does it mean for us today? And we've kind of unpacked this a little bit already that what it means for us today is to remember the implications of how important it is that our Messiah was fully God from the moment he was born. How important that is for what we believe. And I've also kind of unpacked a little bit that what it means is we need to trust that God is moving even when it doesn't make sense to those around us. But I wanna push in just a little bit further because I wanna look again at Joseph's response. And we're gonna look again at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Because what this meant for Joseph is that he stepped in. He stepped in, and not only did he step in in belief, but he stepped in in action. He stepped in, and even though this son was not really his son, even though this son, biologically speaking, wasn't his, we'll see throughout um, the the life of Jesus that Joseph took him in as his own. And he's going to continue, and we're going to look at this in the weeks to come. Joseph and Mary are going to continue to have to push into what God is doing and trust that God is going to protect them. Because pretty soon they're going to be fleeing to Egypt. Pretty soon they're going to be taking off and, and hiding and all from, uh, from day one, they understood that this was different. Raising this child, this Messiah, was different than anything they had planned on. I mean, I can just picture Joseph, right? He's a carpenter. That means his dad was probably a carpenter. He learned it from his father. And so I can see him, you know, he's, he's growing up. He's apprenticing under his father. He's getting ready to start his own carpentry business. And he meets a young girl. And everybody loves the young girl and everybody loves Joseph and they're all excited about this and they're betrothed, they're gonna get married and everything he planned gets thrown out the window. And all he has is this one verse that some people would have looked at him and been, really, that verse, Isaiah 7? You think, Joseph, are you sure you haven't been hoodwinked here? And instead he steps in. And I'm sure for Joseph, there would continue to be people who would question it. The rumors would fly, assumptions would be made, and people would always wonder what really happened. And Joseph steps in. 
And so our final call this morning is where do we need to step in, not just in right belief, but in action. Where is it that we have stood back and said, I believe scripture to be true, I believe um, what the Bible says to be true, but we haven't really taken and made that trip from our head to our heart. Where do we need to make that trip today and say, you know what, like Joseph, I'm gonna move beyond acknowledgement that that's true to stepping in, where Joseph steps in as a parent, as a dad. Where's God at work in ways that maybe don't make sense, step in. If we assume like Ahaz, that we have to have all of the information before we'll act on it, we will never truly be at peace. Instead, like Joseph, even though it didn't make sense to make that journey from the head to the heart, to trust in a God who often moves in mysterious ways, and to know that when we are with God, our, might, our life may not make perfect sense to anybody, including ourselves, but we are in the best spot we can be. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for this reminder from Scripture, God, of how you are at work. God, this reminder that the ways you've moved in the past, you will move again. God, that we can learn those lessons from those before us, that we can look at Ahaz and learn that lesson, and we can look at Joseph and learn that lesson. God, help us to move forward in faith and in trust. God, help us to step in. And God, help us to not just step in with our head, but to step in with our heart. God, that when we say we know God is at work, we know God is moving, God, that we do more than just believe that, we act on it. God, give us the courage to be like Joseph. Give us the courage to stand there even when it doesn't make sense and when others might question it to go, I know it doesn't make sense, but this is where God has called me. And if this is where God has called me, this is the best place I can be. God, help us. Help us to have that kind of faith. I pray this in your name. Amen. We are going to step in now to a time of communion. And as we take communion this morning, I would encourage us to remember that this, this is how we step in. This is how we take, one way we can take our faith and make it active is by participating in remembrances of what Jesus did for us. This is why Jesus was born. Jesus was born with the intention of dying on the cross for our sins. And we need to be unified with him. And we can do that this morning through communion. And so I'm gonna invite those who are serving communion this morning to begin making their way forward. And I would invite all of you here to join us for communion. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you are welcome to take communion with us. But if you're in a spot where maybe you aren't walking with the Lord or maybe just don't feel like today is a day where it would be appropriate for you to take communion, please let the elements pass. Uh, We won't judge you for that. We just want you to be in a spot where you are right with God. And then also, lastly, as we take communion, please hold on to the elements and we will take them together. 1 Corinthians 11, we read this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take it together. I 
And Lord, as we stand here this morning, God, we remember that the reason you came, the reason for Emmanuel, God was fulfilled here in communion this morning. That you came to bring ultimate peace to us through your death and resurrection. So Lord, we thank you for that peace that can be found in you and you alone. And this reminder we have of that. I pray this in your name. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. Thank you, worship team, for that. Lord, it's not only that you're for us, but or for you, but he's for us. And that's one of the most important things about Watertown Evangelical Free. We are all, all about helping people find and follow Jesus. And that's not just you following Jesus, but it's us as a church community, together as one, reaching Watertown with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, my name is Luke Job, and I have a, some announcements this morning. We have a membership class beginning December 13th. It will be on a Wednesday night, family night. Uh, we already have a couple people sign up, Bruce told me. And all you have to do is text the keyword membership to sign up um, t- for the class. Just text it to the uh, church phone number, and you should be, should be brought into a sign-up thing for the class. Either way, or talk to me, Bruce, or anyone else on staff about signing up for that class. We would love to become a member of this church because it's so awesome just becoming more involved with this church. Also, next Saturday uh, on December 9th, we have the women's ministry event called Anchored. It's a women's gathering, and Lori Thompson will be sharing. She is the wife of one of our missionaries, Tony Thompson, and um, Tony is son of someone who goes to our church, which is awesome. And there's an event next Saturday, I don't remember the time, from 9 to 10.30 a.m., so right away in the morning, it will be in the community room, doors will be unlocked, all ladies are welcome, and we would love to see you here. And one other thing, I didn't tell them we had a slide for this, but if you're interested in winter wipeout at all for youth group (laughs) students, I have little sign-up cards that you can get from me. We're going in January, and it should be an awesome time to just talk about Jesus Christ and such. So I'm going to pass the mic off to Stuart because he talked to me before. So uh, it was about uh, a year ago that we uh, invited uh, Pastor Bruce to join uh, our congregation as our lead pastor, and uh, it was actually Friday was the anniversary. And uh, Bruce, would you just come on up here? Um, You know, I just want to tell you uh, sincerely, uh, on behalf of our church body, just how grateful we are to the Lord that uh, he has seen fit to bring you into our community to shepherd us, and we're seeing just amazing things Uh, in terms of your leadership and your teaching of us, and we're grateful. And I'm grateful to Merv and uh, um, Maria and Dara and Darren and Britta and Kaya. Uh, We love you guys. We're so grateful that you're here. And uh, love you, man. Thank you. Well, thank you. I was not, I was not expecting that. And um, so, yeah, we are excited to have been here a year already. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's, it's been a year. It's been way too fun to have been a year. So we are excited to be here. And uh, we will end this morning 
I got to find my place. Uh, We are going to end this morning with a reading from Ephesians. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.